you ever look different from up here? <laughs> Good morning. God bless you. Welcome those especially joining us. Can I ask you lot to stand up, please? I want to pray for you. I want your dads. If you're the dad to one of these, and uh, you pastors, please, as fathers of this church family. Been watching you all weekend. Your attentiveness, your engagement, your openness. And I, I'm just shaking my head. I don't know about the rest of you, but I so wish I knew then what I know now. It's taken a long, hard slog to come to this place in faith, and, and you guys get this at your age. And it's not just that the bar's been raised and, and a whole new sort of standard and expectation, but a whole new season, uh, as we've been speaking about anointing, about authority, um, that, that sense that, that our ceiling is your floor. And so as fathers, fathers of faith, as, as church family, the rest of you, please, would you turn towards them? We bless you in the name of Jesus. We bless all that the Lord has stirred in your hearts and your spirits this weekend especially. All that's been deposited, all that's been released to you, the kingdom seed that's been planted in your lives. And we bless that kingdom harvest, that kingdom yield, 30, 60, 100 fold. We, we bless the, the burning in your hearts and your spirits. Holy Spirit, we pray for so much more for these young adults, these young men and women, wherever it is you take them, uni or college, into the workforce, the mission field, wherever it is you take them, Lord. We bless their eyes to see, their hearts to respond, their spirits courageously to move as you lead, as you guide, as you direct. We bless the gifts the fruit that you purpose for them, from them, through them. Oh, Lord, thank you for these precious gifts. May the light of your presence go with them wherever they go. Send forth your light and your truth to be their guide. Jesus, we ask it in your precious name. Amen. Amen. If you're joining us, we've been working our way through the Lord's gospel mandate. 
Luke chapter 4, Jesus took the scroll of Isaiah and found the passage in Isaiah 61. We just sung that. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. He sent me to announce good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the broken victims go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. We've been working through that passage phrase by phrase this morning, that phrase to let the broken victims go free. Some translations, release to the oppressed. To work that out, I want to work from a rather unusual text. It's, it's not a fridge scripture. You know what a fridge scripture is? You know, the passages you write out on a three-by-five card and you stick it on the fridge so that every time you go grazing, you get reminded of that word. This usually doesn't end up on the fridge. Proverbs 13, 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. In Spanish, that's translated, hope deferred, tormento del corazón. Portuguese, enfraque o corazão. Hope deferred torments the heart. Hope deferred fractures the heart. It's a proverb. It's the word of God. It's true. Not good news. What's a deferred hope? Anything that disappoints us. Every single person in this room has had heaps of disappointment. Some so much more tragic than others. Some horrendous. We all have our sorry stories of abuse, of loss, of betrayal, of failure, of compromise, of love spurned, love rejected, of love squandered, of unfulfilled promises, of broken promises. We've been around long enough in church, many of us have shoeboxes of unfulfilled prophetic words that have been spoken over our lives. All of that defer hope. And spiritually, I wouldn't think that there's one of us here who hasn't cried out to God with all their heart. Some of you have fasted. Be it for healing, be it for deliverance, be it for restoration. You've been claiming the promises of Scripture. You've been writing them out and sticking them on your fridge. Praying into those prophetic words, and yet things have not come round quite like you thought they should, or would, or needed them to. And it's not just that it brings a sag to our spirits. If it's bad enough for long enough, if the disappointment goes deep enough, things degenerate into depression. We conclude that our situation is hopeless. Depression, if it's long enough, deep enough, degenerates into oppression. And we conclude that we're helpless. 
if that gets any worse, turns into torment, and we conclude things will never change. Well, Francis Frangipan has a wonderful definition of hope. He says, hope is the joyful anticipation of the goodness of God. I, I think that's magnificent. Hope is the joyful anticipation of the goodness of God. But in a disappointment, the seed of a lie gets planted. And the issue is whether or not that seed takes root. Because in a disappointment, we're inclined to question the goodness of God. How could he let this happen to me? Why did he let this happen to me? Some of you may even wonder, why did he do this to me? And those questions, unless they're answered with this anticipation of the goodness of God, those questions start to take root in our spirits. And then a demonic hook comes and draws us then to doubt. Doubt because we're flat out lied about lied to about the goodness of God, that God doesn't love us. He wouldn't let this happen if he really loved us. Now, if you're new to all of this, the devil is a liar. That's one of his names, the father of lies. That's his eternal mission, to distort our understanding of the nature, the character, the goodness of God. And in that distortion, we stop believing. At least call into question the loving kindness, the faithfulness of God. We might not do it globally. It's personally. Yes, we believe God is a God of love, but He doesn't love me. He's faithful for everybody else, but for whatever reason, I've fallen through the cracks. He doesn't care about my stuff. In that, then, disappointment has to be redeemed. Otherwise, out of what's taken root, there comes forth a harvest of doubt and fear and resentment and bitterness, cynicism, skepticism. An unredeemed disappointment like fear from yesterday, where fear steals our peace, disappointment poisons our peace. It poisons our joy. It erodes our faith. And disappointment on disappointment corrupts our spirits. And it, and it just so grossly distorts the way we perceive life. There's a pathetic proverb that runs, expect nothing and you'll never be disappointed. That's true. It's definitely not good news. There's no hope in that. No expectation that we will ever see anything of the goodness of God. 
We've just sort of insulated ourselves from any of that disappointment. It's a despairing attitude. It's an atheistic attitude. No God, no goodness. It's then deaf to the voice that is always calling us unto the fullness of life. There's no more sustained prophetic indictment than Jeremiah's. The word of the Lord, though I spoke to you again and again, you did not listen. Though I called, you did not respond. The Lord, in his goodness, is always calling us unto life. But unredeemed disappointment blocks up our hearing. We close our ears to those voices, sometimes of the Lord, that are very, very subtle. In Luke chapter 7, sorry, chapter 22, Luke 22, verses 31 and 32, the disciples are pretty unsettled. Jesus' public ministry is concluded. He's just had the Last Supper with them, and he's preparing them for his crucifixion. Jesus says, Simon, Simon, take heed. Satan has been given leave to sift all of you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you are restored, Give strength to your brothers. I want to work on that phrase. I've prayed that your faith may not fail. Jesus is fully aware of the demonic strategy that's planned against Peter. And he does nothing to rebuke it. That's a little unsettling. Peter's one of his favorite guys. Satan has plans for him. Jesus knows fully about those plans, and he essentially says to Satan, have at him. The good news is that Satan had to ask permission. You know, it is one of those good news, bad news things. Simon, bad news. Satan has plans for you. Good news is he had to ask permission for the fulfillment of those plans. Bad news is I gave him that permission. (laughs) Good news is I'm praying for it. Bad news is you need it. (laughs) Just keeps going, doesn't it? I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. The word for fail in Greek is eklipe. We get the word eclipse from that root. I have prayed that your faith may not be eclipsed. When I discovered that, I immediately thought of that wonderful scene in uh, Apollo 13. You've seen Apollo 13? Just before they go off, they're having the party. Tom Hanks goes out in the backyard, looks up at the full moon, sticks his thumb up, closes one eye, and he eclipses the moon with his thumbnail. Yeah, If you didn't see the movie, you can see that picture. The infinitesimally small, eclipsing, I had to do a Google search, 75 
million square miles of moon. I think it's this. It's big, whatever it is. Really big, really small. That's the point. Don't get lost in the details. Eclipsed because of perspective. I've prayed that your faith may not be eclipsed. That the circumstances of our lives, sometimes desperately grim, manage to eclipse our understanding, our experience of the goodness of God because of perspective. We're too close to our circumstances. So often we just don't understand why the disappointments, why the failures, why the betrayals, why the tragedies. If we've lived long enough with them, we may conclude that those questions are going to be unanswered. That they may even be unanswerable. And part of spiritual maturity is the ability, the willingness to understand that we live in mystery. That there are some things the Lord is working in and through our lives that we won't understand on this side of things. And that's okay. Because we know that he is good. That he is working that loving faithfulness into our lives regardless of our circumstance. Certainly there's been lots in my life I don't understand. I'll give you just one piece. This is several years ago now. I'd come back from Mozambique, southern Africa, seen God do amazing things. Literally, open the eyes of blind, heal the lame, open the mouths of the mute. I've yet to see him give a white man rhythm, but anyways. <laughs> I was with pastors, local pastors, whom had been used of the Lord to raise the dead. You know, they wanted me to pray for them. <laughs> I came back, and a friend of ours had been waging war with cancer. She, her husband, her family had done everything humanly possible to contend for her healing. They'd had so many people through, the elders through to pray. They had worship over her. They had worship playing through the night on CD. They'd gone around the world to those with anointed healing ministries, had her prayed for. They'd fasted. They, if, if, if you ran up a tick box, they'd checked all the boxes. They were contending so hard for her healing that they made absolutely no funeral arrangements whatsoever. She died. They had a three-day vigil in the church. Her coffin there, and they did up a sign-up sheet. I was so jet-lagged, I ticked up the 2 to 4 in the morning box. I was going to be up anyways, and there's no traffic then, so that's fine. 
I've never prayed for the dead before, to raise the dead. And so I kind of was looking forward to having the space on my own. I, when I'm doing stuff I don't know how to do, I don't want an audience, you know. <laughs> I wasn't the only one praying along that day. The funeral director finally said, no more, guys. We had a celebration service. We went to the cemetery. We worshiped again. You know, Lord, like this would be. (laughs) And the funeral director is going crazy. And he, he finally said, it's time. And the disappointment was palpable as he pushed the little button and the casket went down into the grave. And nobody moved, nobody said anything. And some of the folks, some of the friends have never really recovered. The disappointment was so profound. I don't understand why she wasn't raised. Again, you know, you review all the tick boxes. We, we did everything right. We did all that we could possibly have done. Don't understand. I don't have any explanation. But what I do know is that God's love is unfailing. And that his loving kindness is greater than our grief. This is our grief. That's his loving kindness. That that knowledge is a peace that is beyond my understanding. And I believe that in time I will be granted understanding as the Lord more fully reveals his loving kindness. May not be here. May have to wait until there's the final revelation. It's hard. It's like we have to maintain that vigilance over a radar scope. Incoming hopelessness, nine o'clock, coming fast. How do we wage war? Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. Chapter 11 being the heroes of faith, heroes, heroines of faith, some of whom did magnificent adventures, were successes, supernatural heroes. Some gave up their lives. Full of faith. The writer says in chapter 12, verse 1, with such a cloud of witnesses around us, we too must fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. What's it mean to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus? We went back into the Gospels, Mark 4, 35. Jesus says to the disciples, let's get into the boat, cross over to the other side, and he promptly falls asleep. A storm breaks out. Storm such that the boat is sinking, as in waves are coming into this open boat. 
as in Jesus is asleep while these waves are coming in. Presumably, he's soaked. Don't hold me to this, but I think he's faking it. I really cannot believe that he is sound asleep while these waves are soaking him. I think he's just seeing what the boys are going to do. They're freaked. They wake him up and say, do you not care? They've completely been eclipsed. This storm has eclipsed what they've presently, immediately known of Jesus. Because if you backed up from Mark chapter 4, the demonized man has been delivered in the synagogue. The whole town had gathered. Jesus had healed them. The leper had been cleansed. The man with the withered arm had had his arm restored. Jesus had taught about the kingdom, about the fullness, the power of God's love. And yet, this storm eclipses all of that. And they say, do you not care? Their fear had birthed hopelessness. The hopelessness had birthed doubt. And they were in as much turmoil as the sea around them. Jesus rebukes the wind and waves just as he rebukes the demonic, anything that's gone berserk. And in verse 40, he asks, what are you afraid of? Where is your faith? Where are you looking? The storm or me? Talked earlier of maturity, of, of mystery. That's part of the mystery. That spiritual maturity that understands there comes a point when we stop asking Jesus to still our storms and instead we enter into his rest in the midst of the storm. Because Jesus isn't fussed in this storm at all. He's not worried. They were so fixed on the storm, they ignored his rest. There are times, I think it is the Lord's call, that in the midst of many of our storms, we just leave the storm to him, and we enter into his rest. And that means we wait. There, there is that confidence that the Lord is Redeemer. And it becomes a wonderful way of praying. Not dealing with the storm, but just that question. Jesus, how are you purposing to redeem this mess? And resting in that. Not asking him to redeem it, because he is redeemer. That's his job. It's ours to find out how it is he's purposing to redeem it. And then come into alignment with that. I was in Mozambique, a village called Kwamba, closest to Stone Age existence there may be on the planet. No electricity, no running water. There was riots over an empty plastic water bottle because plastic was rare. That village had not seen money, not even coins. We'd gone, we'd done a little leaders' conference in a mud hut 
We brought a sound system with a generator to draw the villages in. At night, we were putting it away. We were putting it into a mud hut. And the young man that was helping me, we put a big speaker down. And uh, he, he turned and he said, oh, no. There was a little oil lamp in the hut. And, and I looked and he had blood in his hand. And I thought he must have caught, cut himself on one of the metal edges on the speaker. And then he turned and spun out of the hut and bent over and coughed some more and then looked back at me. There was more blood in his hand. He said, this is a death sentence. And the other villagers who were helping us all looked and backed away and I could hear tuberculosis, tuberculosis. And he just kept coughing up it looked like coughing up his lungs. It's a full moon. He's bent over it with this growing puddle of blood and chunky blood. I helped him up as I was praying for him, and I took him around to the back side of the hut, into the shade, the moon shade. Do you know why I did that? I didn't want his attention fixed on what he was throwing up. I wanted it as dark as possible so he couldn't see that. Didn't want that to eclipse his faith. Prayed for him for quite some time. The coughing stopped. He said he felt quite a bit better. He was just at the other end of the village staying with his brother. I said, if the coughing starts again, you come get me. Have your brother come get me. Come get us. We want to keep praying for you. Took that home, talked to uh, two medical doctors. Be interested if um, you think differently. But as I described it, the doctor said, yeah, he probably ruptured a, a tuberculin cyst. That was why the blood, why the chunky blood. And untreated, it probably would have killed him. Have to keep our eyes, our attention focused not on the circumstances, but on the Lord's unfailing love. In that, then, we do not so much hope for something as we hope in someone. If you hope for something, then you're projecting your wishes and your desires into the future. If you hope in God and your desires are in Him then the issue of your circumstances don't play nearly so. If you hope for something, you're hoping in too small a thing. Hope in God, and then you'll know the end of Proverbs 13, 12. Hope deferred, yeah, it makes the heart sick, it fractures, it torments. But a longing fulfilled is the tree of life. Not the longing for change in circumstance, but the longing to know more of the goodness of God, that joyful anticipation. That longing gets fulfilled. Psalm 36 verse 5 says, your unfailing love reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. I take that to mean that if the Lord's unfailing love reaches that far, it reaches out to us wherever it is we are, whatever it is we're facing. 
And that's the ground of our hope, that in every moment of our lives, the Lord is purposing to reveal more of his unfailing love to us. Every event in our lives, the Lord is purposing to draw us deeper into his heart. That's the ground of our hope. Right here, right now, the Lord is seeking to draw you deeper into his love. There are some of you here who right now are very vulnerable. There are pieces of your life that functionally have no expectation of the goodness of God. There is a hopelessness. Maybe not generally, maybe not over all of life, but in terms of one slice, you've concluded there's no point praying about this any longer. Maybe it hasn't got that bad, but, but at least you mumble your prayers. I'll give you a test. Is there any aspect of your life where you say, this will never change? Any aspect of your life where you're saying, it will always be this way? Those two words, never and always, are dead giveaway. That you've surrendered, you've forfeited hope. Could be health, could be finances, could be marriage, could be kids. I have a word for you. Prophetic word. Worship until the eclipse is over. Whatever it is you've concluded will never change. Just stare at your thumb for a moment. terms of all that God is holding together. I, I am in no way diminishing your problems. No way making light of, of the, the agony, the pain, the, the aggravation that you're facing. Please understand, right now, you've hit your thumb with a hammer. And it has the focus of your entire being but it is just your thumb. You may lose the nail, but eventually it will heal in the goodness of God. Do not let it eclipse for you the larger, longer, greater goodness, kindness, mercy that God purposes for the living of your life. Worship until the eclipse is over. <clears throat> Certainly in my life, there are times when I've had to sing because I had no words to pray. And I so thank the musicians who have given us, taken scripture especially, and given us song to sing when we have no words to pray. So I'm going to ask Jamie to come, the worship band.
and I sort of lost track of what we're doing time-wise. We got 12, so we got what? So you have full permission as we worship to stare at your thumb. And we pray for perspective. That's it. Stretch it out. The further it gets out, the smaller it gets. You understand that from the moon's perspective, (laughs) your thumb really hard to see. (laughs) It's not that God is indifferent to the pain that you're facing. He just sees it from a very different place. Is that okay? Does that make a difference? strength when I am weak. You are the treasure that I seek. You are my all in all. Seeking you as a precious jewel. Lord, to give up I be a fool. You are my all in all. Lamb of God, worthy is your name, Jesus, Lamb of God, worthy is your name. Taking my sin, my cross, my shame Rising again, I bless your name You are my all in all When I fall down, you pick me up When I am dry, you fill my cup You are my all in all 